Welcome to Worse Than the Borg, the Star Trek podcast for all Terrans, where each week we unpack episodes of Star Trek with fans new, old, or not at all. We also showcase and raise funds for causes near and dear to us in the name of solidarity, reconciliation, and justice. I'm as always your captain, Shane Holland, and this week I'm joined by my two awesome co-hosts, Lieutenants CJ and Stephanie. Hello to both of you. Hello. <laughs> and I'm very excited to welcome our extra special guest, Dio. Welcome, Ambassador Dio. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Collectively, we're worse than the Borg. Prepare to be assimilated. We are here to talk about the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. But first, uh, CJ, would you lead us off with our commitment to reconciliation? Of course. This mission log is recorded on Treaty 13 land, and the participants are committed to reconciliation here on Earth. We believe the United Federation of Planets would fully support the United Nations declarations on the rights of indigenous people. All tuned in Terrans are encouraged to participate in the direct action later discussed in this blog. Thank you so much, CJ. Uh, so, Dio, it is really nice to meet you, and I am very curious to know, what is your relationship with Star Trek? Are you a fan? It, tell me more about it. Um, so I actually have not seen any Star Trek besides the 2009 Chris <laughs> Pine movie. Um, <laughs> that includes the entire rest of this season of Lower Decks. So oh, I no. About two episodes. <laughs> this must have been confusing <laughs> it was very confusing i i don't know the only info that i have about it is something about people in red shirts and Whoopi goldberg was in some variation of it <laughs> i mean that's a good reference point a good baseline for anyone heading into star trek <laughs> well that is incredible i can't wait to break down this episode with you as someone who has no idea what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited to learn what i watch <laughs> oh god i don't know if i can provide you with the level of information you might need to make it at all more enjoyable but i think we'll have fun anyways can i just say that i'm especially excited that your reference to star trek involves knowing that whoopi goldberg has been on the show <laughs> i also didn't know that whoopi goldberg was on the show until i was like watching an episode of rupaul's drag race and they mentioned that whoopi goldberg was on star trek <laughs> Oh my god, that is the best crossover reference I've ever heard. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I just, as soon as as soon as somebody talked to me about doing this, I was like, well, I know one thing about it, and that is Whoopi Goldberg. Done. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, what a treat. What a treat. After the episode discussion, be sure to help support us with this week's direct action. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please remember, like, subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends. Uh, let us take a very quick break and we'll be right back with our breakdown of this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 7, Much Ado About Boimler. This episode was directed by Barry J. Kelly and written by M. Willis. Steph, do you want to tell us what happened this episode? Heck yeah. Be warned, from this point forward, the episode will contain major spoilers. Um, so in this episode, Captain Freeman, Commander Ransom, and Lieutenant Shax are training for a secret stealth mission. So the Cerritos is assigned a babysitter captain, Amina Ramsey. Mariner and Ramsey are tra trained at the academy together. Mariner's lack of promotion and ambition concerns the captain, but the two are excited to work together. Ramsey makes Mariner her temporary number one. Meanwhile, Tendi has been spending her, her free time genetically engineering a slightly smarter, faster, and shape-shifting dog from scratch, whom she calls the dog. <laughs> Rutherford is testing a modified, more efficient transporter and asks Boimler to be his guinea pig. The transporter, of course, malfunctions, and Boimler is left phasing, glowing blue and emitting a high-pitched whine. <laughs> the dog and Boimler are transferred to the USS Osler, where they will be taken to the farm, a Starfleet medical facility for treatment. The other patients believe they are trapped on board and that the farm doesn't exist. On an away mission, Mariner makes a critical error, causing Ramsey to question her faith in her friend. Mariner has been acting extra incompetent to avoid getting a promotion. When the USS, I don't know how to say this word. The Rubido? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, when the USS Rubido fails to meet the Cerritos at the assigned place and time, Ramsey tracks down the ship to investigate. They discover the crew trapped inside alive on the verge of being devoured by a space-born being. Mariner is forced to be her normal, competent self and saves both crews by having Rutherford use his modified transporter. The patient's a on board the Osler plan a mutiny, but Boimler tattles to the commanding officer, as he does. Uh, he is chased into an airlock where the patients attempt to launch him into space. Luckily for all, they have arrived at the very real and luxurious The Farm and begin receiving treatment immediately. The dog bids Tendi farewell and Boimler, having recovered from his phasing without any medical assistance, <laughs> is ordered to return to the Cerritos. Ramsey confronts her friend, and Mariner admits she isn't ready for a promotion yet, but isn't ruling out where her career will take her. The two remain friends. Oh, how lovely. Thanks, Steph. Great. <laughs> uh, so, Dio, I have to know, as someone who's never seen more than a movie's worth of Star Trek, what was this experience like? Did you like latch on to any of this was it interesting or was this like just a mind trip from beginning to end well i'm i'm a big cartoon fan so i felt like i was gonna go into it open i had no idea what's going on i took a half of my notes with i don't remember his name but i put down bombolini um <laughs> <laughs> when, Boimler. Yeah, Boimler. There it is. Um, <laughs> I don't. I I liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought it didn't take itself too seriously. I feel like Star Trek has always been kind of scary to get into because it's this huge thing that people know so much about and has so many different universes. But so I felt like it was like pretty pretty accessible. It was easy enough to kind of pick up on the characters and who they were and 
I didn't know the larger context of things, but I know I like Tendi a lot. She was cute. <laughs> she certainly is. <laughs> Definitely she gets a great uh, arc in this episode. I mean, that dog, the dog, what a character. Uh, what a terrifying, terrifying animal. Has anyone here seen, like, the thing from the 80s with Kurt Russell? Yeah, that's immediately what I thought of when the dog started shape-shifting into horrifying things. <laughs> that was so incredible. I thought that was a nice little nod to one of my favorite movies. Uh, CJ, tell me more about your thoughts on this episode. Um, I really liked it. Like, I, I like, uh, I continue to love Tindy's almost bordering on naive positivity about everything, <laughs> like... And the the reveal at the end that like she knew the dog could do these weird things and she just thought that's what dogs were because they didn't have them on Orion. She has no frame of reference. <laughs> yeah, as far as she knows, that's a perfect dog she made. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I liked I like the the kind of uh, upending of the um, uh, I'm blanking on the mood the Logan's Run type of thing where. Mm -hmm. You know, they tell everyone we're taking you to a great place. And so the assumption, because we're all genre savvy, is that, no, they're just getting rid of them and you're shoving them aside so they don't have to deal with whatever if it is, whether it be age or some sort of medical thing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out like, no, we're, we're doing what we're said we're going to do. We're just going to do it in a really creepy way. <laughs> Very creepy. What a creepy choice for a captain of a medical ship. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, Steph, what did you think about this episode? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, I guess. I guess. Uh, I guess. I. I. Yeah. I. You know what? I liked Tendi. I liked the concept of the dog. I especially liked when the dog just like became a cube that was rolling. That, I think that was my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> I definitely laughed like, out loud at that point. I, I guess I'm still lukewarm to this entire franchise dude no that's that's fair it's <laughs> not like it, it's not the next generation which we know you love uh it is definitely not taking it seriously like dio mentioned earlier uh and yeah i i can understand why uh it might not be everyone's cup of tea yeah like i didn't bad watching it good <laughs> well that's good because you're here to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think there are definitely some themes to consider this week uh, that speak to Trek and speak to society at large that, you know, I mean, that, that's why, again, why we're hosting this podcast. Otherwise, we'd have absolutely nothing to talk about. Uh, but I think it does it pretty well, uh, actually. Um, particularly this idea, which you just touched upon, Trek and disability, CJ. Uh, like, Star Trek has never dealt with disability well. It's always been like a villain of the week kind of thing or uh, an insurmountable problem. Uh, people are often faced like, well, uh, if something horrible happens to you, this is life-changing and uh, you'll never be happy again. You're just gonna have to live with it, which is, you know, not the reality for many people who live with disabilities. Uh, so this was kind of an interesting take on that whole situation. And yeah, the upending of them actually going to a kind of luxurious spa for some day treatment 
was a nice surprise, something that Trek rarely does for people who have disabilities on this program. It was. Uh, I kind of wish we had seen more of what happened afterwards. Or like, were they going there to treat them to, you know, cure the disability or to, you know, help them adjust to living with it or, you know, figuring that out? Because I think that speaks volumes to like the philosophy that they have. Um, you know, Star Trek, like you said, it runs into issues with disability um, that a lot of genre things do, that it's either a terrible thing or it's offset by technology or something like that. Like, you know, Jordy's visor adjusts things, but he can, for all intents and purposes, he can see. So it's it kind of takes away the aspects of someone living as a blind person in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It uh, it kind of diminishes what that person, what a person who is actually blind goes through, um, by saying, you know, in the future you won't be blind anymore. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a, a huge theme of growth and change, which is something that like Star Trek Discovery season three dealt with completely. Um, but here we've really been focusing on Mariner, this character uh, who seems like she could really advance if she wanted to. Uh, And here we learn that she could be captain. She's the same age approximately as her friend who's visiting the ship. And like, why is she stuck as an ensign is kind of the central question of this episode. I don't know, Steph, what did you think about that storyline? Gosh, I'm just like thinking a little deeper about it. I'm like, yeah, that's getting a little too close to home for me right now. Oh, <laughs> maybe yeah, tell me. Like it. Let's get deep. Let's get deep. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Back at the, the the previous comments though about disability and mm. from my perspective, and obviously you know I am currently not disabled, but like you know we can all anticipate at some point in our lifetime we all will be. Um, anyway, I. I was just thinking it felt a little bit like we're just shipping everyone away that's got a problem to a planet. Like, I don't know. It felt like that planet is, you know, could be an institution. Like, it felt a little bit like that. Like, we're just like our problems. We'll just ship them away to this planet. And, oh, it's a, it's a spa planet, so it's fine. I don't know. That's the kind of sense that I had when I was watching it. I don't know how you all feel about that. Uh, you're yeah. so right. Uh, go ahead, CJ. I was gonna say, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Why I wanted to see some more of that because they could have easily thrown in a couple lines of dialogue of like, this is where we have people who specialize in this who can help you adapt or who can work with you and get you back to duty, you know, so that you can be effective with your disability. Uh, but we don't see any of that. We just see. We're like you said, we're shipping you away, and we're gonna say it's okay because it's has a nice climate and a swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Dio, I uh, I mean, what do you think about that? I it, it's kind of, I, I I guess I'll give you a little history in that Star Trek never this never ends well in Star Trek uh, for people with disabilities. They're kind it it always this is the kind of episode that usually ends on a very sad. Uh, key change in the score and we just fade to the credits and uh so i was kind of looking at it like oh well you know at least for once it kind of ended positively 
positively, but clearly we need more information. Otherwise, this is the this is what it is. Yeah, I mean, so I I know that the whole sense or the whole point was for you to feel like that they are just going to be lost away or whatever. And I fully believe it because I don't really understand like what the Starfleet is, but it seems kind of like a military or like government kind of thing. Am I right with that? You got it. So the sense yeah. that they would just see these people who are like suffering as a result of what they were doing for their job somewhere else felt super real especially when that blue guy started narking on them and he would like call them freaks and stuff that really like i was like this guy sucks first of all um but second of all like yeah i definitely <laughs> felt this sense of like he was only transiently part of that sold them out and then that was like the last that we saw of all of them is they get dropped off at this place and that's all you know like do they get cured do they need to be cured um, I think that's the thing, like, I think it raised a question for me for, like, how much responsibility does whoever this organization take for what it's done to the people that work for it? Like, do they just drop them off there and then that's the end of it? Or, like, what they wouldn't have ended up this way if they weren't working for this place. So... <laughs> I mean, that is kind of a central question to this particular series, uh, Lower Decks. Uh, and uh, spoiler alert, the, the four of us are going to get together again and talk about the last episode of the season in the near future. But they really deal with this topic in that episode uh, in particular, I want to say, uh, which is Starfleet uh, is great at bringing these like cultures and species and planets together, but they're not so great at the upkeep of that relationship. And that's kind of like the purpose of the Cerritos, this second contact ship is to go out there and uh, keep in touch with these civilizations that they've just made initial contact with like, hey, we're Starfleet, we're out there, we're roaming the stars and we want you. Um, and then yeah, these civilizations never hear another thing and are left out to dry. And uh, uh, someone like the someone like the Cerritos, a ship like the Cerritos comes along and it turns out that everything is horrible and we really need you and we need your resources. Where were you? Uh, and so, yeah, it's an extension of that being that they just leave their people high and dry. It's not very surprising, actually. Lower Decks is kind of a dark series, uh, I've discovered. There's a lot of death and destruction happening in the background. Yeah, it's really good at, under the guise of like poking fun at it, pointing out all the ways that Starfleet has failed that you know we never pay attention to in any of the live action shows. I also kind of want to talk about the value of uh, winners versus lower deckers, uh, as it were. Um, People like uh, Captain Ramsey, the babysitting captain, uh, they obviously really seem to jump through the ranks uh, and get a lot of praise. But someone like Mariner, who is obviously happy being an ensign, ensign who doesn't want that extra responsibility, they're kind of looked down on in this egalitarian society. I don't know. What do you have to say about that, Steph? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I didn't think that deep that deeply into this uh, episode, but I absolutely see that parallel for sure. And uh, 
It's like it's echoing my life right now. <laughs> I recently accepted a promotion and now I'm like, uh oh, this is too much responsibility. I don't want it. I just want to there again. But it also speaks to like society. If you're, you know, we're all supposed to be driving to be trying to get to that top spot, whatever that may be in whatever field you're in. And if you're not trying to get there, then you're a failure. Well, yeah, that, I reject that personally. And I think we all yeah, should. Yeah, me too. I mean, no, definitely. Not everyone, not everyone is suited to be at the top. And oftentimes the job at the top sucks. So, like, why would you want yeah, that? Exactly. The world <laughs> wouldn't run if it weren't for lower deckers, quite frankly. <laughs> it's the ongoing theme uh, through this season of contrasting Boimler's desire to be promoted with Mariner's desire to just stay where she is and keep doing the job she's doing because that's where she's comfortable and where she feels like she can do the most good. Uh, we, in other episodes, we see her you know, flying on, under the radar and helping people out, which she wouldn't be able to do in a command position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, there, There's a freedom in that lack of responsibility that really, you know, the, yeah, I've, I am going through the same thing, Steph. The more responsibility I take on, the less me time I have, the less uh, the less freedom I feel like I have in my personal life, the more scrutiny I feel like I have in things that I do. There's something to be said for that lack of ambition. <laughs> you know what? That support role is crucial. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can't, you don't have an organization if you don't have people in those roles. And if anything, like living through this pandemic, we're seeing, mm-hmm. right? Like all of, the, all of those roles that we previously did not even pay attention to a lot of the time, we're understanding are crucial to our very daily existence. Yeah, we're, we're know, all essential so- workers, it turns out. <laughs> We've talked a bunch about this episode, but let's take a very quick break. We'll be back with more to say, and we'll have our commitment to reconciliation as well. Every week, we pick a different organization that makes a positive impact in their community, and we make a donation to them as part of our commitment to reconciliation. CJ, do you want to tell us who we're supporting this week? I will. This week, we would like to spotlight Side by Side Virginia. Their mission statement is to create supportive communities where Virginia's LGBTQ plus youth can define themselves, belong, and flourish, including a commitment to the flourishing of Black LGBTQ youth. The donation link is www.sidebysideva.org slash donate. We encourage all of our Tarion listeners to engage with this cause and to donate if and what you can to help in the fight for peace, justice, and equity. Awesome. Thanks so much, CJ. Uh, So each week, uh, we get to ask our guest panelist, what the trek? (laughs) What to you, Dio, as a non-viewer made absolutely no sense was morally questionable or otherwise downright confusing about this episode this series or all of star trek altogether what the trek dio um i have two one is like where do they get funding 
Is it like a crowd fund? <laughs> Where's the government? Well, uh, I imagine that because uh, this is a post-scarcity future and there is no money, uh, that solves a lot of the funding issues of Starfleet. Uh, they have these machines called replicators, matter replicators, so they can create pretty much anything from scratch. We've learned in other series that they might be reconstituting human waste to become food, uh, so there's no more food uh, scarcity in to worry about anymore. Uh, so yeah, money, not really a thing that they need to worry about. Also, they're like a community of hundreds of planets. So even if they were collecting money, you know, that even a small percent of tax on billions of people on each world, <laughs> that's that's enough to run an organization like that, I would hope. <laughs> okay that makes sense i was wondering because there was so much damage done to so many ships um so like who's paying for that okay <laughs> and then my second question was that like so one of the very few things that i do know about star trek is like the red shirt thing right is that people were like saying that red shirts are the dispensable characters mm -hmm. so like is that kind of the point here <laughs> uh yeah actually <sighs> Yeah, these are supposed to be the dispensable characters. Uh, the The color coding has kind of changed in Star Trek a few times. Like in the very original series from the 60s, um, red meant you were security or engineering, uh, and yellow was like command and blue was science. And so anyone who is security or engineering, just they were bound to get killed on an away mission or on the ship they were the expendable ones but because that the colors have kind of changed that hasn't always been true but i don't know red shirts always die it's it's just a fact and yeah that's uh we're kind of watching a a crew of red shirts cool that was kind of what i liked about it or at least what i got from the sense of like it being called lower decks was that it wasn't about like Chris Pine, Captain Kirk, but no, like no, 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 no. about just the other people who were there. Exactly. <laughs> that yeah. that is the charm of this. That is, and I, I liked that in this one. The what would be the A story on some other one, which is what the main bridge crew is off doing, looks incredibly boring. <laughs> like they're there to plant plants at a specific time, but for some reason need this tactical guilt gear to do it. <laughs> That was a great joke. <laughs> yeah, that was one joke that actually made me laugh. Like, okay, so they may or may not plant seeds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Also, very volatile situation. Very stealthy outfits for the planting of those seeds. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm Great callback to another uh, great TNG episode, <laughs> season six somewhere <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about uh it's the one where captain picard gets uh stolen by cardassians kidnapped not stolen a person gets kidnapped not stolen um and uh i don't know he's on a mission with bev and Worf, and something happens he gets caught and you see him naked at some point it's uh, burned in my memory as a young man <laughs> Wait, they're called Kardashians? <laughs> yes, they do fight Kardashians. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So I guess that's the next what the Trek question. Uh, a Kardashian, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> they're called Kardashians, not to really confuse you. Mm, okay. They're close. That's close. Very close. Yeah. <laughs> but, but speaking of uh, TNG callbacks, I wanted to ask someone with more expertise the thing that the Rubino turned into at the end. Mm. Did that reminded me of the space jellyfish from Encounter at Farpoint? Yes. <laughs> yes. I was trying to figure out if that was intentional or if it was just jellyfish are weird let's put one in space <laughs> i think a bit of both uh it definitely i it had to be a callback uh so the very first episode of the next generation which lower decks is uh, a kind of a love letter to uh they are at this uh star base in the middle of nowhere at the edge of the galaxy and there's this city and something weird is happening in the city and at the very end of the first episode the city turns into a giant space jellyfish and has a baby and meets up with another space jellyfish it's very crazy uh so this is i think a clear nod to that but also glowing blue space jellyfish pretty fun to look at <laughs> And one of my notes was space jelly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, did anyone else have any notes that we didn't get to this episode? I had one that just that threw me and I was trying to figure out if it was something that got added into animation later or what or not. But the uh, the Division 14 specialist, when he first arrives on the shift ship, is wearing a face mask like the ones we're all wearing whenever we go outside. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, you know, in theory, they wrote and recorded this a while ago, but did they throw that in as a contemporary thing in post-production, or is it just like a happy coincidence? That's a very good question. I'm going to guess happy coincidence, because that's probably an expensive post-production thing to do for one scene. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but cool. Good eye. I didn't notice that at first. <laughs> Uh, it's when when things that remind me of real life show up in my escapism it it stands out oh we just started watching the stand on prime oh my god too real it's a stephen king a tv show about a pandemic that wipes out most of the earth it's horrifying and so far i'm loving it and hating it at the same time <laughs> I think they're trying to make me root for an incel, which is also making me very uncomfortable. Uh, so we'll see what I say about that show 10 episodes time. My only other note was that I thought it was funny that they were like, don't you know, dogs can't talk, dogs can't do this. But then they have like a cat who works on their ship, and I think it's a doctor. <laughs> that is an excellent point. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I was just like, are you, re they're saying that this dog can't do that and this dog shouldn't be able to fly. Why not? <laughs> Good point. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, that about wraps it up for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining our collective DO. Your knowledge and experience, incredible as it is, has been uploaded to the whole uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Worsenborg and at WorsenTheBorg on Instagram. You can email us at WorsenTheBorg at gmail.com. Please remember to tell your friends and subscribe and give us five stars. As always, thank you to my awesome co-hosts, CJ and Steph. Thank you both. Thank you. And an extra special thanks to our producers, Alex and Maddie. And thanks to you for listening. We've been worse than the Borg, and you have been assimilated into our collective.
Worse Than the Borg is recorded in Toronto, the traditional territory of many nations including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Worse Than the Borg is produced by Alex Harvey and Matthew O'Donnell. Executive producers Shane Holland, Ron Sly, and Ravi Joshi. Star Trek is owned and produced by Viacom CBS. Worse Than the Borg is in no way affiliated with Star Trek, but is inspired by its message of hope, spirit of human achievement, and acceptance. Computer and transmission.